Uh, I have a, a trivia question for you. I'm wondering if anybody knows this. Um, does anybody know what the longest running game show in TV history is? Any ideas? I'm hearing the price is right. That is not it. Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, no, none of those. No, not Family Feud. It's actually Let's Make a Deal. Has anybody heard of this? Let's Make a Deal. Like, it, it, it's been on the air for 58 years, guys. <laughs> Since 1963, it started with Monty Hall there, and now they've gone through several uh, uh, hosts, but it's still on the air today. And it's crazy to me, because there are people whose parents weren't even alive when the show premiered, who are like getting on the show, dressing up in crazy costumes, just like they did back then, for a chance to win some cash or like a washer and dryer set. And when they do, that's when the show gets really interesting, because that's when the host offers them the deal. Basically, he'll say, you can keep what you've got, what you've already won, or you can trade it for the thing in the box or behind cur curtain number two. And then, you know, of course, they open the box or the curtain if they make the trade, and they might get something like a Tesla, or it might be like a goat or a donkey. <laughs> Which, if you've seen the show, you know they call that getting zonked. And it's crazy, because I looked into this. You don't even get to keep the donkey. So it's a total ripoff. It's a terrible trade. My kids are really disappointed that you don't get to keep the donkey. <laughs> we're going to come back to Let's Make a Deal in a little bit. But today, we're going to wrap up our Art of Relationship series. We've been talking for the last four weeks about how our closest relationships flourish when we begin to practice certain relational arts on a regular basis. And we talked about practicing the art of being all there, staying present to our friends and family in the moment, the art of intentionality. And then last week, Brian talked to us about one we don't think about all the time. It was the art of risking awkwardness in our relationships. But today, what I want to talk to you about is not something that I want you to do or add to your relationships. Today, I want us to talk about something to stop doing. Because sometimes the truth is, the game changer in our relationships is not something we add to it, it's something we let go of, something we give up. And to do that, uh, if we want to deepen and strengthen our relationships, I, I think the key, and what we're going to talk about today, is that we need to practice the art of letting go. We need to practice letting go on a regular basis. We're going to take a look at, the, at a story from the life of Moses today. And I think most of us are probably pretty familiar with Moses' highlight reel. Like, he's the guy who, you know, led the people of God out of slavery and into the promised land, parted the Red Sea, delivers the Ten Commandments. He also later, of course, had his life immortalized in an epic four-hour masterpiece starring Charlton Heston. So if you have some time on your hands this afternoon, I would highly recommend that one. <laughs> but before all of that big stuff happened, Moses was basically a nobody. I mean, as a baby, he had been adopted into the Egyptian royal family, but then a whole bunch of stuff went down, and that blew up on him. So he finds himself in the middle of nowhere, herding sheep for like 40 years. And then one day, this amazing thing happens that kind of kicks off this whole season of ministry and, and all of these great things Mo Moses gets to experience and be a part of. God starts speaking to Moses through the landscaping which is a super weird thing to have happen. Basically, there's this shrub that's on fire, and it's not burning up. And God is speaking to Moses through this shrub. And God tells him that he is actually the one who gets to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery. And of course, Moses is like really blown away by this whole burning bush thing. 
But there's one problem. Like, he, he does, he's not down with the plan. God's laying out here. So he immediately starts telling God, no, I think you've got the wrong guy. It's not me. Like, I, I, I stutter. I'm not a good communicator. I'm not the leader type. Seriously, it's not me. And as Moses is, like, rattling off his whole list of excuses why this cannot be God's plan, God interrupts him with a question. He says, what is that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. And the Lord says, throw it on the ground. Now, this may sound like a pretty minor detail to us, but that's probably because none of us are shepherds, I'm assuming. I mean, I know we have some hobby farmers in the room, but, like, I'm assuming your life, you know, your, your whole livelihood is not based on shepherding. But back in Moses' day, a shepherd's staff was a pretty essential tool. In fact, most of the time it was probably his only tool that he had at his disposal, it was used to poke and prod the sheep to make sure they went where they needed to go. It's how they got the wayward ones back in line and kept the flock safe. A shepherd's staff was also the way that they were able to fend off wild animals who were looking to snack on some of his sheep or, you know, even the shepherd. <laughs> so if you're a shepherd in Moses' day and you found yourself without your staff, you were in trouble. You had no way to control your sheep. You had no way to ward off predators. So a shepherd without its staff was pretty much as successful as a carpenter without a hammer. Like, he was out of luck without this thing. And while shepherding wasn't exactly like a high-class profession, at this point in Moses' life, it was pretty much all he had left. So God asking him to lay down this key to his livelihood was no small thing. See, I think God knew that if Moses was going to step into his calling— and become the kind of man that God had for him, live the kind of life God had ahead for him, he had to practice the art of letting go. And I really believe the same is true for all of us. So as we wrap up this series today, I want us all to get honest with ourselves about what it is we need to let go of in order to experience what God has for us relationally. I think there are all sorts of things. <laughs> I think you're probably already thinking of things you need to let go of in relationships. Because there are. There are all sorts of things we may need to let go of that keep us from experiencing what God has for us in our, our relationships. But today I want to talk about one specific one and focus in on it. Because I think it affects so many of the others. And it's control. Control. Because I think the truth is control is something we probably all wrestle with in relationships in one way or another. Sometimes it, it, it kind of seems like we're almost hardwired to struggle for control from birth. I know I saw this in my kids so early. They were so strong-willed, just as babies. And I remember this one time, uh, it was my, my youngest's first Christmas. Somebody had given him a, a Noah's Ark set that he was playing with. And it had all sorts of little plastic animals in their pairs to, to go on the ark. And of course, he's like 10 months old at this point. So him playing with this is mostly him throwing the animals or chewing on them. That's, but he loved it. It was, it was all he wanted to play with that Christmas. So one day, uh, the boys are in the living room. They're playing with all their new gifts. So I took this opportunity to just step into the kitchen, get dinner started, all of that. And then the next thing I know, I hear Lincoln screaming bloody murder. So I run back in there to try to figure out what's going on, and his, his Noah's Ark toys are nowhere to be found. And he's crawled over, and he is angry, and he's wailing on his older brother with all his little tiny baby fists. And I'm like trying to assess the situation, figure out what happened here. And I look at my three-year-old, and I'm like, Elliot, did you steal his Noah's Ark toys? And he's like, no, I did not steal them. I fixed it for him. 
And then he shows me this. Can we get that picture? That's my oldest in a nutshell right there, all lined up, ready to go on the ark. Because that's the way he likes things. <laughs> and what's funny to me about the story is that almost four years later, those two are still wrestling from control with each other in like the same exact ways. One of them just gets angry and he, he fights for control. And the other one tries to micromanage everything his little brother does. It's just what they do. They're wired this way. So, of course, trying to be a good parent and really intentional in this moment, I sit my three-year-old down, and I'm, like, trying to help him understand. Listen, I know you think you helped him here and, and that he wants this, but really what you're trying to do is get what you want, and you like things just so, and if you really want to develop the kind of relationship with your brother that I think you're going to want and appreciate later in life, you're going to have to realize he's his own person and let him make choices about how he wants to play, and I'm not sure if he gets any of this, but I feel better as a parent having had the conversation. So I head back into the kitchen to finish alphabetizing my spice drawer. Because <laughs> clearly it comes from somewhere, and I have my own deep-rooted <laughs> control issues. Because I think we all do. We all have these things that we, we want to control in our lives, and it affects our relationships. And I think, you know, it's easy to, to look at somebody like, you know, my son who wants to line up his toys, or me who alphabetizes her spices and think, oh, that's just control freaks. We're just a bunch of control freaks. But I don't think that's it. Control is not actually our goal. The goal is getting what we want and need from people. That's what we're after. And when we're not getting what we want, we find ourselves resorting to all sorts of controlling behaviors. Sometimes it's the negative stuff, like criticizing, comparing, guilting, shaming, silent treatment, anger. But it's not always negative stuff. We also use positive things sometimes. Sometimes we use things like praise or affection and we twist them, where we offer them up when somebody does what we want them to do and we withhold them when they don't. And when we get at it, the root of all these things is control. It's us trying to manipulate and control another person. And there's nothing wrong with us trying to get what we need. But when we resort to these controlling behaviors, not only is it not gonna work long-term in our relationships, it's going to keep us from ever experiencing the kind of deep, mutual, life-giving relationships all of us want. Control is at the root of so many things that affect our relationships that we need to let go of. For example, I think about resentment and hurt. I think it's easy to not think of control when we think of resentment and hurt. If anything, we're, we, we feel resentful and hurt when we feel like somebody's been trying to control us, right? But when we hold on to the pain of how someone's wronged us, and we let that ruminate, and we let it build in our minds and in our hearts, we begin to feel like they owe us, and they need to make it up to us. So then, in relationship with the person, we find all sorts of little ways to remind them of what they've done to try to get them to change and do what we want in the future. Or maybe the person comes and confronts us about something we've done that upset them. And instead of us owning that and having the conversation, we immediately remind them of how they did the exact same thing or even worse so that we can invalidate what they've done. Hurt and resentment are just feelings that we feel. If we hold on to them, we begin to use them as tools for control and manipulation in our relationships. Now, as we always do around here, we want to look to Jesus as our model of how to handle things and how to be in relationships. And in so many ways throughout his life, Jesus modeled what it looks like to give up control when he was hurt 
Even, we, we see even when he was on the cross, when he's enduring the pain and the loneliness of being betrayed by the very people he came to save, look what Jesus said. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was intentionally letting go and forgiving. Instead of choosing to hold on to bitterness or resentment, which, gosh, I mean, I think any of us would feel like he was justified in that moment to do so. Jesus lets go of control. And he chooses instead to trust in God's goodness and his plan in this moment. And if I want to have the kind of relationships that I, I deeply want, the kind of relationships that last and are life-giving, then I need to be following his example and actively, intentionally, regularly letting go of things like hurt and resentment that I'm holding on to. And maybe you're thinking, like, if I, if I don't do that, what do I do? Like, that's just been a pattern for so long. What am I supposed to do? Just, like, say nothing? Let it keep happening? And I got to tell you, like, this is something I am in remedial learning on. (laughs) I'm learning right along with everyone else. Um, And these are patterns I've seen play out in my life for a long time. But I want to share with you something that's been really helpful to me as I'm trying to learn to let go of control in my relationships. Jesus said one time, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And I always heard that talked about in the context of prayer, and it is about prayer. But I recently read something where the author pointed out that it's also a model of how Jesus wants us to be in relationship to other people. Jesus is basically saying, request what you want. Ask. Talk to them. When you're trying to get what you want, don't use insults or threats or guilt or flattery. Ask. Seek. Knock. Request is at the heart of community. And a request is the opposite of what it looks like to control people. It sounds really simple, right? Just ask for what you want. So why do we never do it? (laughs) Why do we never do that? Why do we not start there? I think it's probably because it's risky, right? Like if I show up and I ask for what I want, they can say no. (laughs) They can say no. I think this is why we talked about getting awkward last week before we talked about letting go this week. Because asking can be really vulnerable. I'd much rather just tell somebody what they should or shouldn't do or guilt them into going the direction that I want them to go. It's a lot safer sometimes to raise my voice or turn on the emotional pressure or bring up the past in hopes that they're going to change and do it differently this time. But being the kind of person who simply asks for what they want in relationships, it's kind of new territory for most of us. That's why I was telling you about Moses earlier. I want to go back to Moses. For Moses to experience the kind of things that God had for him in his life, he had to become the kind of person who could trust God's power and ability to take care of things more than he trusted his own ability to control the details of his life. To experience the power of God in his life, he had to throw down that staff and relinquish control. So he does. God asks him to throw down his staff, this key to his livelihood, and Moses throws it down. And it's funny what happens next. Let's take a look. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. (laughs) And he ran from it. So the staff miraculously turns into a snake, and Moses' response is basically to freak out and run away. And, like, if I'm honest with you, uh, that's pretty relatable to me, because if anything on this stage turns into a snake this morning, you all are on your own for the rest of the gathering, because I am out of there. Uh, But check out what happens next. 
Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. If I'm Moses, this is when I'm cycling back to that conversation about, I think you have the wrong guy. Like, this is not for me. But Moses does it. He reaches out and he grabs his tail and it turns back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. And from then on, nobody referred to it as Moses' shepherd's staff anymore. It was known as God's staff. And God used that staff in amazing ways throughout Moses' life as he went on to lead the people of God out of slavery and into the promised land. But first, Moses had to embrace the truth that there is a good God who is always present in a work in his life. A God who cares more about Moses and his sheep and all the other details of his life more than Moses ever could. Because he had encountered a God like that, because Moses had spent time with a God who loved him and cared about all the details of his life, he was able to begin to relinquish control. And as a result, he got to experience the life God had for him. And the same is true for us. If we're going to let go of trying to control the people in our lives, we've got to start by remembering who God is. We've got to start by remembering the good news that God cares more about everything in our life and our relationships than we do. All of it. And he's a good God who is always at work, which means we get to trust him to work in the lives of the people we love, too. And when we spend time with a God like this, and when our hearts begin to experience that kind of goodness and love and freedom, it gets easier and easier to let go of our grip on control and begin to trust God to work in our relationships and in us. Because we know we can trust him. We can trust him. We get to say to God, God, this person in my life, they're not mine to control. Yes, it's my spouse, but they're not mine to control. Yeah, you gave me these kids, and you've called me to raise and guide them, but you didn't give them to me so I could control them. They're my family. They're my parents, siblings, friends, coworkers, but I can trust you to work in them and to work in these relationships instead of relying on my own abilities to pull strings or push buttons to try to get what I need out of other people. Practicing the art of letting go is a daily invitation from God. It's a daily invitation to surrender your desire for control so you can embrace God's dream for your life and your relationships. Unlike that old game show, God says to us, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. You let go of the control you've been holding on to, and I promise I will not let you get zonked. I have good things in store for you and for the people that you love, and you can trust me. And we've had a challenge for you guys every week of this series. And we have a big challenge for you this week that I think is a really great one to end on. We challenge you to surrender control. Surrender control of your life and relationships to a good and loving God who is always present and at work. So I want you to think about that now. Like, what is it that's in your hand that you've been clinging to? What areas of your life have you been using to try to control other people? Would you begin to practice letting go of that today so that you can trust God to lead you in new and better dire directions in your relationships? I'm going to give us all a little bit of time uh, to reflect on that in just a few moments, and we're going to end our gathering with communion. Uh, so if you came in and you did not get one of these little 
communion cups. If you'll just raise your hand where you're at, somebody from our VIP team will bring one to you. Um, and you can go ahead and get those ready. Heads up, they're a little tricky. You've got like two films here. You've got to open the top one first and then the, and then the bottom one. Real quick, I just want to go over like why, why we practice communion. Of course, if you're online, grab your elements as well. We'd love to have you join us uh, in this. Um, one of the reasons that we practice communion together is because Jesus did it. And we talk a lot about following the example of Jesus. Uh, I want to read from uh, the, first, the first account of communion that we have in Luke. It says, After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is in the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. I want you to just hold on to those for a little bit. That's the other reason that we practice communion together. It helps us remember who God is. It helps us remember what he's done for us, all we've received in relationship with him. Remembering who Jesus is is key if we're going to start letting go of control in our relationships. Because when we remember who Jesus is and what he's done, we don't have to strive or make things happen or control things in our life and our relationships. We can lean into what Jesus has already done. And we can let go and we can begin to say yes to a life of learning from him, how to live and love the way he did. So I want you guys to close your eyes now. And I want you to take a few moments to just talk to God and get honest with yourself and with him about what you need to let go of today. And then I want you to ask for his help in practicing the art of letting go of control. And when you're ready, after you've had a chance to talk to him about this, I want you to take the elements on your own as a way of saying yes to Jesus' invitation to learn from him a new way of being in your relationships. And then I'll come back and close us in prayer.
held on to control instead of trusting you. Or maybe we've tried to control or manipulate the people we love instead of just loving them. I pray that today you would begin to awaken our awareness of when control is popping up in our lives and that you would help us to just start to let go, start to practice trusting you to work in our relationships instead of trying to maneuver and manipulate things to get what we want. Father, thank you for setting an example, for showing us what it looked like to have authentic, life-giving relationships in Jesus and help us to daily say yes to his invitation to spend time with him, to learn from him how to live and love the way you do. We're thankful. In your name, amen. That was a heavy one, guys. I know that. Thanks for sticking with me on that. And I pray that this week, no matter what you're facing, <laughs> or no matter what feels off in your relationships, you just practice that. Maybe, maybe just take a few breaths and practice actually physically letting go of your grip, letting gr go of where you're holding tension or stress in your body so that you can trust God and remember that he is at work all the time in all of your life. Okay, now, uh, of course, next week, as I've already said, no gatherings in here, so we will not see you back next week, but we will see you in two weeks at our Farmington facility for Concert with a Cause. Can't wait to see you there. It's going to be a great time. You guys have a great week. Look for the opportunities uh, to notice God at work around you.